Welcome to the Security Sangetti. We're your hosts, David Swinger and Matthew Keener. Stop what you're doing and subscribe to our podcast and leave us an awesome five-star review and follow us at SerengetiSec on Twitter. We're here to talk about cybersecurity and technology news headlines and hopefully provide some insight analysis and maybe even a practical application that you can take into the office to help you protect your organization. We have views and opinions expressed in this podcast and ours are ours alone and do not reflect the views or opinions of our employers. So I'm not sure that companies really want to monitor employees that work at home too closely. You might end up with a lot more Jeffrey Tubins. Oh, that, that, <laughs> that, that, that combined with, you know, when you're going through the part about practical applications, I was thinking it's not a practical applicator. <sighs> All right. So first article, the White House to study employer tools that monitor workers. So the Biden administration plans to study companies' use of technology to monitor and manage workers because they say this is becoming increasingly common and can cause serious risks to workers. My God. Thank God the White House is on our side. Well, I wonder how this is going to protect the children, though. That's the question. Children can't be employees yet. Actually, no. Didn't you just see? Was it what? Some state just made it legal for kids to work in like slaughterhouses or something. Oh, nice. Is that did I misread that or was that like a I don't know. But that gives them practical real world experience. <laughs> well, I mean, George Washington was the surveyor for Loudoun County when he was 13. Yeah. You know, and he turned out all right for the most part. I'm, yeah. I mean back in the day I'm I'm sure you got started working on the farm real early. No, oh, the whole time. Yeah. And okay. when my dad was 14, he got his dad pulled him out of school and said, that's enough of this crap. It's time to go to work. Yeah, no, there. Yeah. Okay. So I don't think it's that exactly, but there has been a bunch of states, Missouri legislation that extends working hours for teens 16 and older, eliminates age verification requirements. They're allowed, Minnesota lawmakers are allowing 16 and 17 year olds to work in construction. Iowa is considering a bill that would allow children from 14 to 17 to work in roofing and mining. <laughs> I don't know that I would want a 14-year-old working in a mine. That does seem a little interesting. Well, there's tight spaces in there. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that's the, the classic argument for why children should work in a mine. We just need to get that younger. We need six-year-olds in there. They can crawl in and... <sighs> yeah, now we don't have to <laughs> worry about them burning themselves on candles, you know, because we got flashlights. <laughs> I mean, the whole child labor thing is just ridiculous. I mean, the reason that kids worked back in the day is because they needed to bring home money for the family so they could survive. Mm-hmm. Parents weren't having their kids working in factories where they could lose their hands for no reason. Yeah. And children did, and the reason that children stopped working was not child labor laws. is because the increased capital made people richer, made families not need to send their children off to work in order to make ends meet this is ridiculous propaganda but anyway kind of <laughs> off topic there white house office of science and technology policy put down a blog post that said that they're going to ask employees about their experience with surveillance technology and they're going to ask employers and software vendors how they develop and use the surveillance technology well that should stop them I couldn't find the actual blog post that was referenced in the article. So I'm not sure exactly what else they had in there. But 
I, I, a quote, a quote from the article says that, and I think this is from the blog post as well, that monitoring conversations can deter workers from exercising their rights to organize and collectively bargain with their employers. And, you know, my response to that is do that on your own fucking time on your own fucking computer. Yeah. This uh, time to apply OPSEC to work too. I don't know how many of you guys are Antifa super soldiers or (laughs) right wing militia, but if you're not one of those two folks and you don't know anything about OPSEC, maybe it's time to learn. Well, I mean, the thing is that, you know, you're doing stuff on the company dime on their equipment. That's not for company purposes. You know, do that. You shouldn't be doing that on your company. If, if this is the, if organizing is something that's going to benefit you, you should be able to take some of your time off to put towards that. It's ridiculous to think the employer should, should fork over time and money for employees to do that to organize against them <laughs> yeah or just you know be smart about the way you're uh, messing around on your own time right. i mean don't All write right. your resume on the corporate computer yeah it's the same yeah. kind of thing it's the same concept there are so many people that i've seen in the past who go looking for their next job while still on their corporate computer <sighs> anyways so this made me think actually of a there's a post on reddit about a jp morgan morgan program called wadu workforce activity data utility. It was the subject of an article last year from Business Insider, which is currently behind a paywall, but there's an updated article from this year, which I will link in the show notes. The Business Insider article talks about how it tracks the time from when you swipe your card to enter the building to how much time you spend on Zoom calls, how much time you spend in Outlook, how much time you spend talking on the phone. It collects your calendar entries and desk reservations. And that was already considered to be too much. The, I mean, the whole article was talking about like how much surveillance people were getting. But it's popped back up as a subject over the last two weeks due to a comment by someone on Reddit. Now, this is someone on Reddit. It's unverified. They said they were a senior manager at JP Morgan Chase, but there's no guarantee of that. Take this completely with a grain of salt. I didn't necessarily want to discover, I didn't necessarily want to discuss whether this was real or not, but I wanted to discuss each of the individual technologies because it seemed they, when you take them all separately, I think they seem like they're mostly plausible. So the first one that he said that it does is it tracks you in the office using facial and speech recognition. And that there's HD cameras all across the office that are all networked together so it can track you from camera to camera. I think we've seen that that's something that's reasonably possible, especially in a limited environment like an office where you have a limited selection of employees to compare and recognize. Uh, But I do think it would take a hell of a strong system to do this for all employees, right? Like tracking a single person is pretty easy, but tracking like, you know, several hundred people in an office is probably a little more difficult. Yeah, I'm not sure what the what how much benefit they get from that versus the tracking when you're at your desk. Well, I imagine that if they were, because because one of the arguments he makes in this is that this is all going to be compiled into like a productivity score that predicts how productive you are. So I imagine for this, what they're probably if if they were doing this again, <laughs> it might not be if they were doing this. I think what they would be looking for is like how many breaks you take and how much time you spend wandering around as opposed to sitting down and working well that's just right. it if you're monitoring your workstation then they know when you're not oh, at your you're workstation right. yeah they don't necessarily that's know what I'm you're saying. doing but hmm. Hmm. 
Yeah, I don't know. But while plausible, it seems unlikely to me. Yeah, it seems like a waste of processing power. Right. Yeah. As well hard. as expensive HD cameras that have to be maintained and networked and facial recognition software that has to be maintained and updated and all that. So it seems just too, seems overly expensive. But of course, I think JP Morgan Chase is the largest bank in in the planet. <laughs> so quite possibly they have some extra money rolling, laying around. Gotcha. Fair enough. I, I did see, I was looking around for other, and this is the, the next item was camera tracks you and your desk at your desk in the office, but it's kind of the same thing like David was just saying. But I did see that apparently some cars now have fatigue monitoring where there's a camera that aims at your face and looks for signs of fatigue. One of the things that the next thing that he mentions, which I really should have put this bit under, was that there are biometric feeds for attention, focus, and stress based on these cameras. Like I said, fatigue monitoring in cars is already kind of a thing. And I feel like this is totally possible. Looking for how much movement you make, looking at where your eyes are looking, how fidgety you are. Could use thermal too. Could you imagine getting an email from work saying, you're running a fever, please go home. <laughs> like what? <laughs> now, when I was reading this, I was thinking that that would be the webcam would be yeah. better suited for that because it's, it's, right, know, it's there right in front in your of your face. face. Yeah. yeah. I agree. I think that that makes more sense there as opposed to having like HD cams around the office. Mm. So unless you're like me and you've got your work computer folded up so the camera can't be used. Well, if they're at the office, they probably have a web, you know, there's probably something if, if they were doing mm. this level of monitoring, they say your webcam has to be connected and on and, you know, not have a black screen and they can monitor for that yeah. easily enough. Yeah, that makes sense. So this, and this would be interesting too, if they measure for stress, because that's something that I think that a lot of managers don't have a great handle on necessarily is how much work is a good load of work. You could, I could see a benefit to having something like this that tells you like when you're doing too much work, when you're too stressed, when you need to slow down. Although most people can figure that out on their own. Well, the, I think the, the issue here is that the assumption, the way that this is couched anyway, uh, is not for employee benefit. This is for the corporate benefit. Because if you're talking about stress and, you know, you were monitoring an employee for stress signals or whatever, and they were getting too stressed, then you could say, hey, you need to go and take a 15 minute break or something like that and relax or something along those lines, which I don't think this doesn't seem to be kind of along those lines saying, well, we want to make sure that, you know, the employees are, are, are unstressed or whatever. Yeah. They're looking well, probably to find the edge I'd... if they weren't evil, but we are talking about a bank. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. All right. Then he also, or I assume it's a he, I guess who not, also watches and listens at home when workers logged in through Citric Workplace. This doesn't make sense to me because I don't think Citric Workplace has, I think I think he's just saying when you connect to the VPN, it runs maybe. Because I don't yeah. think Citric Workplace has built-in functionality to watch and listen to you. Well, the Citric Workplace, that is like published apps, right? That you access through a web browser. So I'm not yeah. sure. I don't know. But then the next thing he said was that it'll scan pictures that when you log into the computer, it'll take a bunch of pictures through your webcam and then scan those pictures for recreational drug paraphernalia, game consoles, and other things. Image recognition can be tough. I don't know that. I mean, I'm sure there's parts of it, like it could look for an X on an Xbox or, but like finding recreational drug paraphernalia, I mean, maybe like a needle. Right. That the, I mean, just because you're in the same room with the Xbox doesn't mean anything. Yeah, that is true. Uh, uh, I, again, plausible, but unlikely. Yeah, and I can't imagine 
the first time they ever took action on it, how many lawsuits they would get. If they ever fired somebody for something that was just in the area of your work computer. Mm-hmm. Um, next one was microphone listens with speech recognition for keywords and phrases that are flagged, such as those that may imply frustration and or unhappiness. This one's totally doable. I've seen there's actually podcast transcription that can transcribe our you know 30 to 45 minutes hour long podcasts in about three minutes. So and then searching for keywords and phrases seems totally doable. So this one, this one seems 100% doable, but also would run into lots of issues in terms of privacy and getting sued. Well, this thing is already happening at multiple companies with customer sentiment. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about doing basically the same thing for employee sentiment yeah. by collecting, you know, chats or voice or whatever in order to to come up with that reaction. So, yeah, this is already going on in multiple places. Can you imagine doing this in all the Zoom meetings in a company? No. Yeah, I mean, I can't even fathom the 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 number of zoom meetings that are going on at any one time <laughs> in any company you know because imagine just you alone you are in zoom you know God, most of like the day four hours of the day yeah. right so if every employee is in zoom at least that many times <laughs> per you know per day that's a lot of zoom yeah yeah And then finally, they say it measures productivity through word types, mouse clicks, application activity, unique contributions. And then finally, it produces a ranked list of all your subordinates for the manager by productivity. So I just have to say this is an absolutely terrible way to measure productivity. It's like measuring lines of code written for a coder, like how many emails you send. Like, Because you could game this by just screwing around an email all day and you would look super active. Yeah, this is this is ridiculous. You know, I think I mentioned before that I've been reading a bunch of Deming lately, and Deming would totally destroy this because one of the things, one of his big things, is making it so you can't have employees be afraid at work in order for them to be productive. You know, a fearful employee is not a productive employee, and if your employees knew, and I'm sure they have to know that this is the way they're being monitored or whatever, when when it comes to review time or whatever. And if they're afraid, they are not going to be productive. So having this hanging over their head, like the sword of Damocles constantly is not going to get you what you expect. You're not going to get out of this, what you think you're going to get out of it or want to get out of it. Yeah. So what would you say overall? Do you say that, do you think that a piece of software like this could exist? I think it could. And I think this is really playing on more people's fears of what's possible versus what is actual actually going on yeah i think a company would be really shooting themselves in the foot by doing this now that being said do you see this happening in the future do you think that companies if they had the opportunity to roll something out like this i can uh, see someone trying it but (laughs) i think it would be a total disaster and it would not this is not something that everyone's going to do in the future i think you're going to have some first movers they're going to try something like this and yeah. it's going to utterly fail. And it's going to be a lesson for anybody else who's even considering it, that this is a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. I, so I did find a couple other comments about this. We're talking about this one a lot, so we should move on. But there was a Y Combinator post that mentioned that JP Morgan hired Palantir to do that kind of internal analysis, internal semantic analysis you mentioned, and look for insider threat back in 2009. And they were implying that you know, this was the beginning of Wagyu. 
which is not necessarily. And then another post on White Combinator was from a managing director from who said he was a managing director from JP Morgan. Of course, again, take it with a can of salt. They said it didn't have like 90% of those capabilities. So I do think the Reddit post is an exaggeration. I just thought that the possibility was interesting. Yeah, I think that's what makes it appealing for people to even read it is because it sounds plausible enough. Yeah, uh, just like it's, it's just plausible enough. Yeah. 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 All right. To play off people's fears to get the clicks or the reads or whatever on the on the thing. Okay. So the reason this is important is that you know a lot of companies want to try to maximize productivity and minimize costs, and they might try different mechanisms. Maybe not all of these together, but maybe different elements of here to try to do this. And I think they're increasingly incentivized to do something like this with the work from home, because there's a lot of speculation, whether it's true or not, about the productivity amounts or the ability of employees to be productive while they're not in the office. But like I said, I don't think this total situational awareness for a company is going to yield what they think it's going to, but they certainly will try it. So Um, something actually that made me think there was someone else that commented and they were talking about how things are totally different for folks like in manufacturing and service and how they feel like many managers generally feel like they can manage them much more tightly than back office employees or white collar employees. Because they get much more narrow tasks is probably why they think that's true. Yeah. And and as, as was pointed out by somebody, like if you're working in a like on a manufacturing line, like people behind you and people in front of you are all dependent on you kind of getting in the same cadence as everybody else. So it was just, it was just interesting that I, I could see some of this being more applied to folks on a manufacturing line or folks with jobs where managers have a, have a, have a harder hand, have a, I don't know. I don't know how to phrase that. I, I think, I think it, it doesn't, it doesn't change the way I think about this being a total failure though, regardless yeah. of how they, regardless of the situation they attempt to implement it in though. But if you're going to, if you work for a place that's, that is tracking employees to this level though, I would not stay there. I would get the heck out of there as soon as I could. And that's something that's not going to come up in your, your interview either. When you're talking to them, you know, you're only going to find about, find out about it after you've already joined the company, <laughs> uh, which is, would stink. Yeah, when your manager comes over and says, hey, we noticed that you took two 15-minute breaks yesterday. We're going to need you to stop doing that. (laughs) Whoa. Right. So just a couple other items to add on here. Don't use your work laptop for personal issues. I know that most companies usually have something in there about you you can use it, but don't use it for anything embarrassing. We were laughing at a list of like major Zoom fails that was full of stuff like, you know, embarrassing search histories and just just don't, just don't. And if possible, keep a separate area for your work stuff. If you live and work at home, obviously you live at home. That was one of the <laughs> things that I've said. You work at home, try to keep a separate area if you can. Now, most of us can. I can't. I don't have another area to go be, but you know, it'd be nice if you can. Next article. Uber's ex-security chief leaves court with no jail time for covering up massive hack. <laughs> and this is from Gizmodo. So I got to tell you, this is a big shocker. That, you know, a CSO was not going to go to jail. Totally caught me by surprise. So Uber was hacked back in 2020. No, this is 2016. I'm sorry. And Joe Sullivan, who is the, uh, the 
the CISO for Uber at the time tried to cover it up, but he was, he was convicted in 2020 and he just went to sentencing and they sentenced him to probation and 200 hours of community (laughs) service. And the judge, this is the best part of the whole thing, was the judge stated that they were showing leniency because of the unusual nature of the case and it being the first time of its the first time of its kind. He said if other security officers tried the same thing, they could expect jail time. The prosecutors had attempted to get 24 to 30 months in jail. But that is in my opinion. Because it sounds like if you're in a tough spot, what you really need to do is come up with a novel method to cover up your crime. And that'll prevent you from going to prison because the judge is like, oh, I've never seen this before. Uh, oh, my God. Off you go. And and the judge during sentencing said, you got to, and this is a quote, you got a break not because of what you did, not even because of who you are. And I think the reason that he said that was because that's exactly why he got off light is because who he is. He is a former federal prosecutor, whereas, you know, Russ Albrecht got got sentenced to double life imprisonment plus 40 years and didn't hurt anybody. You know, this is this is not shocking at all that this is the kind of outcome you're going to see for, you know, this is a big deal of time that a C-level executive was going to possibly go to jail for covering up for a hack. Yeah. This sounds an awful lot like qualified immunity. And I know we talked a little bit about this and, and qualified immunity... I went and looked up the actual definition, specifically qualified immunity. And this is a quote from the Cornell Law School, protects government officials from lawsuits alleging the official violated a plaintiff's rights, only allowing suits where officials violated a clearly established statutory or constitutional right. And the way that I have heard it from multiple other podcasts is it's the clearly established. Basically, if you can find some edge case where the violation of rights was different than clearly than previous documented violation of rights, then it falls under qualified immunity. Well, I thought that was just for government. Yes. But I'm I'm saying that this is very similar though. Oh, I see. Like, because he did this in a new way that's never been seen before. (laughs) He's not going to jail for hiding, hiding a hack. That is ridiculous. Yeah. This whole thing is interesting. So I, I guess I have my question here is, is this going to dissuade or is this going to persuade other security officers to cover up the hacks? Because from a pure business perspective, this seems like a cheap way to prevent a stock drop. And I know you put a note in here saying that Uber was not a public company at the time, but like usually that's why you have to hide or feel like you have to hide these things, right? Is because it causes a stock drop. It may cause a business impact. You'll have to report out. But frankly, if I remember correctly from that report we looked at last year, the reporting to people and the pain of their, you know, two years of credit monitoring is the most expensive part of a breach. Yeah, I'm not sure. I tried to look back at the Uber's history to see what else was going on at the time to see if there was a particular reason, something else that was going on. They in the were they were under investigation to the FCC for a hack from 2014. So I, I think they probably felt like there was. Just, I don't know if I don't know what it would have done if they'd reported it again. Uh, I guess that could be. That could be it, just that one event or that that preceding event. But I was tra- trying to think about something that may impact the business in another way, but wasn't able to find anything. Mm. But what's another interesting thing about this 
is his lawyer lawyers argued in court i'm sorry argued in court documents that any amount of jail time would be not not necessary since he has suffered and will continue to suffer significant consequences because of this case and some of the suffering that this guy's endured is becoming a cloudflare's cso after after the event and, really? and currently being the ceo of ukraine friends which is an ngo with uh, doing oh. multi millions of dollars worth of aid in ukraine that's so, how you rehabilitate your image, right? Every time a famous person or a rich person, you know, is discovered doing something wrong, they go work for an NGO or, you know, some sort of charity for a while. Well, you know, how much you want to bet that his work as the CEO of Ukraine Friends is goes towards his 200 hours of community service. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. So all he has to do is get paid millions of dollars to be the CEO of this NGO and write that off as his community service. Ridiculous. Yeah, those I did see the judge said that Joe Sullivan's character was part of this. The judge received 180 letters about what a great guy he was. Yeah, ex except for the time he built a conspiracy to cover up a compromise. <laughs> yeah, and and, I, and on one hand, I kind of get that this wasn't that big a deal. Like, as a reminder, what he was charged for was paying the hackers $100,000 and saying it was a bug bounty program and not reporting the hack to the FTC. I like I get that what he did was not that serious compared to you know murders and other things, but I thought the whole point of this was more money equals more responsibility. Number one and number two, this is the first time that this has happened that we know of. You would think that they would slap him with like the book to say to all other CSOs like, "Do not do this." Yeah, that's what you would think in in the, in the, in in a normal world. Maybe that's the advice. So the prosecutors, and this is a quote from the prosecutors, nobody, neither corporations nor the executives who lead them is above the law. Uh, but we all know that's bullshit. And this, oh. is an ex this is a primary example of that. I mean, you just have to read the Durham report to see that, in fact, there are people who are above the law. And Glenn, Glenn Greenwald actually wrote a book about this very concept called With Liberty and Justice for Some, How the Law is Used to Destroy Equality and Protect the Powerful. And this is the reason that this ticks me off so much is my my proclivity would be that this is not a crime at all, except in cases where, you know, that 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 data wasn't destroyed or whatever, because if because if he went through this whole thing and he successfully got that data deleted, he actually protected all the customers from this for cheap for, for cheap for cheap. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And not telling the government about it is none of their really none of their business about it. So I, I I agree that this is this is basically a non-crime. But what annoys me about this is that he was in a, a significant position of power, covered up a, a, a compromise, clearly illegal. He was a former prosecutor, so there's no doubt that he knew exactly what he was doing. And if this was a security engineer or the manager of a sock, he would be he would be going to jail, undoubtedly. But because he was a senior executive. And a formal, former government official, he gets a, you know, I'm sorry for your pain. We'll give you probation and you can move on with your life and go on to be another CEO or another CISO in another company. That's what really irks me about this whole thing. Yeah. So, yeah, this is supposed to be that big example. And, and it is. It's a big example. And now I think that security officers, chief security officers around the world are going to look at this and be like, huh. And they're going to be doing that calculation.
on whether or not to hide it. So, right. Yeah. What should you do about it? I think you should eat the rich. Yeah. Don't use too much salt. Don't use too much salt. Uh, I think you've got a, I think you've got a more realistic suggestion. Yeah. <laughs> well, he didn't, he did not do this by himself. He did not do this in a vacuum. He had minions helping him do this. So if your boss comes to you and says, Hey, I got a great idea. You tell him, no, I'm going to talk to the legal department about this. I don't and know do I that before that. you go out to the parking lot, to the dark parking garage or whatever, and get this sorted out. Because no chief executive could do this by himself. He had other people help him. And that's yeah. a conspiracy for this that uh, could have prevented this from happening if people simply would have told him, no, I'm not going to go along with your scheme. Yeah. And let's not forget that Uber CEO hung him out to dry. There's evidence that Uber CEO knew about it, but then when it came and went to court, he was like, I don't know, he was just doing this on his own. Right. And apparently this came to light because the CEO left and a new one came in and the new mm. one that came in said, oh no, this is not good. Yeah. Yep. All right. Last article, ex-Ubiquity dev jailed for six years after stealing internal corporate data and extorting bosses. And I specifically wanted to bring this in simply as a... Compare and contrast to the previous one. And I totally agree that these I totally agree that these are different cases. There are one's definitely a lot worse than the other, but I just thought it was interesting. So as a summary, an ubiquity employee attempted to extort almost two million dollars from his company, which is probably about what Joe Sullivan got paid after <laughs> stealing corporate data. <laughs> that was probably his <laughs> bonus. I mean, I don't know. CSOs don't make as much as the other C-levels. Frequently, they're actually a couple levels down in the corporate structure. He may have only made, you know, half a million a year, 600,000 a year. Yeah, poor guy. <laughs> I mean, we know he's, he'd suffered. He's suffered. <laughs> he suffered. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, this ubiquity employee pled guilty to wire fraud, intentionally damaging a computer, and making false statements to the FBI. He was sentenced six years in prison plus three years of supervised release, and he was ordered to pay $1.6 million in restitution to cover Ubiquity's costs. That's something I haven't seen before. Being ordered to pay costs? Maybe I haven't been paying attention, but... Yeah, I wonder uh, what those costs were. In the article, it said that the company had was devalued by $4 billion when, the, when this took place. So it seems like $1.6 is really not going to make up for that. Yeah, I wonder if that was the IR, like the hours spent doing IR maybe? I'm not sure. It could be. Could be. Yeah. But since he's never going to pay that back, I wonder what the thought process is in finding him the 1.6 million. Sure, Just, you could you could say, well, it costs us 1.6 million to do IR, and we're going to find you that that money. But if you never see it, what is there really a point to that? Yeah, they said that this guy was making two hundred thousand dollars a year, so he may have that much saved up. But that's basically his retirement. And maybe the intention was just to drive him into bankruptcy and make <laughs> sure that he has to commit crime again. It could be because, I mean, he's not going to be making that much punching license plates for six years. Yeah. But there's there that, you know, that that four billion devaluation, it sounds scary, but their stock price was back up within two months to where it was before. So it was a temporary loss in value, but not a sustained loss. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess my question is, how much worse is this than the previous article? I know. I thought his approach was novel. So he should have gotten a slap on the wrist. I mean, how, how many people are ballsy enough to hack the company they work for, pretend they're the outside hacker, and then also extort the company when the company fails to pay you as the hacker? I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty, pretty ballsy, pretty novel, I think. 
Yeah, that's pretty ballsy. So what did he do specifically? He was looking for a new job. While he was looking for a new job, he pulled over 1,400 AWS task definition files and over 1,100 GitHub repositories. And as I understand it, taking data with you is pretty common when folks leave job, leave a I job. Mean, it, it, it makes sense for you to take your own stuff from a certain perspective, because <laughs> you could just rewrite whatever you wrote, you know, wherever you go. This just saves you some time because you could reproduce what you created. But this looks like he stole from everybody, not just yeah. getting copies of his own work. Yeah, that's fair. He changed the log retention and the session file names to implement a coworker, implicate a coworker. Yeah. <laughs> Jerk move. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> and which made me actually wonder in terms, well, you know, I'll save this for later. And then he was put on the response team a couple months later when they detected the strange behavior. Uh, and while he was on the response team, he sent them a ransom note saying that he was a thief and he wants 1.9 million in Bitcoin. Yeah. I mean, that just sounds like a lot of stories. You know, the cop is a killer assigned to the case to investigate himself <laughs> or his partner. You know, it's kind of like Mr. Robot. Yeah. I think it was, may have been the first episode of Mr. Robot where his, the, the MSSP that he was working at was sent to respond to a compromise at, what was the name of that corporation in that movie? Like Super Corp or I don't remember like that. Yeah, you know, Evil Corporation. Yeah, Evil, <laughs> evil Corp. Corp. That's, what, that's what they call it, Evil Corp. That's right. <sighs> so he sent to respond to it to a compromise at Evil Corp, and it's his own hack. Now they so they refused to pay the ransom. So he leaked some data. Then he went to the press and claimed to be an anonymous whistleblower, saying ubiquity had been hacked. And all this came down to he connected once without the VPN, and that was enough. Idiot. I'm, I, you know, I was wondering if 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 he would have gotten caught anyway, because it was my understanding from the article that he was leveraging his own account to do this stuff and tried to play it off like his account had been compromised. Ugh. You know, so if his account was compromised, you know, was there evidence to indicate that it may have been or how could well, it have been? So what they should have done, if that was true, is he should have been like, oh, I'd use the same password as my such and such account that was compromised. Yeah, or something. Yeah, because yeah. he could go to, to have you been pwned or whatever. I'm sure he's got a, <laughs> a compromise in there and says, oh, yeah, that was my Netflix password or whatever the heck that had been compromised before. But then you're like, oh, you're well, it said he was a dev, though, not a not a dedicated security guy. So like, really, you're reusing credentials as a security guy. That's terrible. But, you know, it would make sense for a developer to do that. But and something else that seems odd with this is that if he was remotely connecting using his own credentials, they were not using two-factor on the remote connections, you know, because that would have had to go into a whole SIM swap stuff if they were doing it that way, which we know would be terrible anyway. But if they were using the time token, you know, likelihood of a his account being compromised and them being able to get in past the two-factor, pretty high bar. So I yeah. think he would have been caught even if he had not made this mistake. Yeah, it didn't seem like he really thought it through very well. So, but anyways, why does this matter and what should you do about it? Well, there's a couple of things here. Number one, are your logs and login history safe from alteration? If somebody does go in and delete the logs or change the session data or change the retention period, are you going to detect it? Definitely something to think about. And also, are you connecting, are you logging every single connection to your systems? And are you flagging on ones that are not on VPN? Now you 
depending on how you're set up, that may be tough to do, or that may be super noisy. There are companies like IP quality score that will give you a fraud number for every IP address based on what they're seeing elsewhere in the world. And you can do stuff like maybe only alert on it if it has a high fraud score too. So although I think he said that he used a publicly accessible VPN, I have noticed that VPN public public VPNs have lots and lots of high fraud scores because criminals use them. But then if they'd been using this, they wouldn't have, why would they let him connect with a, he, he used a private VPN. He didn't connect with the company VPN. No, uh, I they think shouldn't he's... have let him connect to the systems. Well, if he put the, the private VPN on his edge router, then it would just have looked like he was logging in from New York versus from his home anyway. And if they weren't monitoring for that disparity and saying, oh, well, he well, lives no. in Virginia and then he's logging into the corporate VPN from New York, then, you know, that's not going to show any flags either. Final thing you should do about, final thing you should know about this is attackers make mistakes too. People like to talk about how, you know, defenders have to be right all the time and defenders only, and attackers only have to get lucky once. That's not necessarily true. Attackers have to be good through multiple stages, the initial access, the foothold, the propagation or the lateral movement, if they're doing that, like those are all opportunities to catch them. And you only, they only have to make one mistake if you've got good logging for you to catch them. Right. You I mean, they have to be right once, but that one time is going to last a couple hours at least while they do whatever it is they do. And that is made up of multiple small things. But I think that's it. Thanks for listening to the Security Serengeti Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at SerengetiSec and subscribe and listen on your favorite podcast app. 